Hey everyone, welcome to Infused Church Online. Today we're continuing our series called Relationship Vampires, and we're talking about the people in your and my life who are critical or overly critical of everything we do and critical of the people around us, and how, in the midst of that criticism, do we love them? It is possible, so stick around to find out how. Today, uh, we are continuing our series called Relationship Vampires, um, where we are talking specifically about critical people. And uh, these uh, relationship vampires are the type of people in your and my life um, that kind of take the life out of you. Um, and I think critical people, especially overly critical people, certainly fit that description. Now, by a show of hands, how many of you, if you had to think about it, know a critical person in your life right now? Yeah, okay. Now keep those hands up if that person is sitting next to you. No, okay. Wow. Was it? Was it? Maybe we need to talk about it afterwards. Um, (laughs) I'm not looking to start anything, but um, we all know, we've all had experiences with critical people in our life, um, and it is pretty easy to identify the critical people, the relationship vampires, in our lives. It's not that difficult um, because they kind of highlight themselves in our relationships. We try to avoid them in our relationships. Uh, And some of us, we're just really good at finding the faults in others. And so it's pretty easy for us to pick out the, the tending more relationship vampire people in our life. Now, our goal this morning is not to identify the relationship vampires in our life, um, because most of us can do that pretty easily. Um, our challenge today is much bigger than that. And in fact, I think it would be much more difficult to do what we're going to talk about today, and that is loving those people, loving the critical people in our life, because it is exceptionally hard. Last week we talked about controlling people, and it's hard to love controlling people, but today I think it's even more difficult, just personally, to love people who are continuously critical of us. It is difficult to show compassion to someone that is constantly kind of bringing us down. Um, At least that's maybe how we feel. Um, Now, loving critical people is not just difficult to love them. I think it's complicated to love critical people, and um, I hope to make that clear uh, today. But I want to make sure we're kind of on the same page because of how complex loving critical people are. Um, Our goal today is not to fix critical people in our life, not to fix those relationship vampires in our life. Though that may happen based on what we talk about today, that is not our goal. We're talking about loving critical people. When you're face-to-face with that critical customer tomorrow or this week or that neighbor of yours or, let's be honest, that Christian that you know, and, and they're pretty critical of you or someone that you know, how do you love them in that? How do you love the friend who's being critical of another, another friend, and you're watching it happen, or a coworker being critical of another coworker, and you're watching it happen. How do you love in the midst of that? Now, just in case uh, you um, stayed up late last night because you're watching the awesome game that was on TV, um, I'm not going to say which one, even though I already did. But for the people online or in the room, um, I want to talk right off the bat about the two most important parts of loving a critical person. That way, if you fall asleep or whatever, you know, and and you can kind of come back to this, and then I'll I'll explain why. The two key things that you have to have kind of as tools in your tool bucket when it comes to loving critical people are these two things right here. Oh, 
It's hard to see with the background, sorry. Um, questions and truth. Questions and truth. And if that doesn't make sense, bear with me because I want to break this down to understand how this fits into loving the critical people in our lives. Now, I, I'm just going to be honest with you right up front. Um, I, this, this all happens verbally, right? Critical people tend to be critical verbally. But what I think is, is helpful in understanding criticism and how we deal with it is to show you symbolically, okay? Show you physically what happens in the midst of criticism and break that down. So, I'm going to call on um, John. I didn't even talk to him about this, so hopefully he's willing to be, be an assistant today. Are you, uh, hoping, are you willing to be a Vanna White for me this morning? Fantastic. That's great. Okay, so hop up here, John, okay? This is John, everybody. Um, Yes, thank you. There you go. Yeah. So John's feeling really strong today, um, but John is going to play the role of our criticizer um, this morning, and he specifically is going to be criticizing me, which never happens. Okay, that was a little slow, but yeah, okay. Yeah, never happens. Okay, now John, John is going to be critical of my jeans. Okay, we'll just make it really easy. My jeans to John are a little too tight for being a pastor. There you go. Okay, thank you, John. Yeah. <laughs> now, John hasn't told me that yet, but he's thinking it. Those jeans are a little too tight to be a pastor. So, now, John, what I want you to do is I want, to pick, I want you to pick up that weight. Now, now John works out, so I know this is going to work. Yeah, look at how easy he just picked that up. That's 20 pounds right there, and he just, yeah. Okay, fantastic. So, now, this weight right now, now make sure everybody can see it. This weight, yeah, hold it. Well, some of us have to hold it with two hands, but... <laughs> Okay, this weight is going to symbolize criticism, all right? Now, criticism, just hold on, you're, you're too, getting too far ahead of me. Okay, that was good, but not quite yet. Okay, now criticism, just so we're all on the same page here, criticism is expressing a perceived wrong or fault. Now, John hasn't expressed it yet, he's just thinking it, okay? But he is thinking of something that he feels is wrong about me or wrong that I'm doing or a fault, in myself. So essentially, John is now thinking about it during service, and then after service, he's going to come up to me after service, and he is going to criticize my jeans. And you tell me my jeans are too, too tight for being a pastor, and then you go on to tell me that Jesus probably didn't wear tight jeans, and then um, you're going to say, you know, I'm, I think I'm just going to have to find a new church um, that is much more stylish than this one, okay? So that's his criticism of me. That's, that is a lot, but you're upset. Yeah, okay. Um, now, before you think, okay, Taylor, that's kind of absurd to have somebody be upset about jeans. Trust me, I've been criticized for sillier things than that, okay? Now, that is partially true. What John said is partially true. Jesus probably didn't wear skinny jeans, okay? But when you criticize, when someone criticizes you, what happens, now think about this, what happens to that weight, that criticism, when you're being criticized or when John is criticizing me? John, what happens to that weight? Yeah, you put it on me. Fantastic. See, two hands. Okay. Thank you, John. You can have a seat. Okay. So now John has criticized me, and I have the criticism right here. And we have all experienced this. We have all been criticized in one way or another. I mean, you're sitting there, and, and you're looking at it. Once you've been criticized, you're sitting there holding this criticism, trying to figure out what to do with it, right? I mean, like, oh my gosh, that was a mean thing for my boyfriend or girlfriend to tell me. Or, uh, you know, that was a mean thing that my parents, or I felt criticized by my parents. Or you're looking at that email that you got this past week, and you're thinking to yourself, wow, that was a little critical 
of an email. And you sit there, right, and you're holding this weight, and it's getting heavy, and you don't like it. None of us like to be criticized. Okay, now hold that thought for just a second. I'm going to put this down because I'm not as strong as John. And I want to talk about first what we do, how we respond to criticism. What are the different kinds of responses we have to criticism? Now, first of all, some of us get angry and we throw it back. This is one of the reasons I like this idea of a weight, because that's what we do, right? For some of us, it's just instinctual. Somebody criticizes us, we just take that weight and we throw it back, don't we? And I know because I know you all, that no one at Infuse, especially no married or dating or divorced couple, has ever been in a relationship where they felt criticized by their spouse and taken that criticism and thrown it back right at them, right? We've never done that. The answer is no, by the way, okay? Right? We all have done that. In fact, some of us, we have been guilty of not just taking the 20-pound weight and throwing it back. We go searching and digging for that 50-pound weight and throw it right back at them. And then it creates this one-upmanship of, well, I'm just going to criticize you bigger and bigger, and I'm going I'm to go back years if that's what it takes to criticize you and win the criticism argument, if you will. Now, I don't think I have to remind you that that is not loving, but... Let's be honest, that's how sometimes we've responded to criticism. Now, the second response, and I didn't know how to word this, so I just came up with this. What if they're right? That's how some of us respond. Some of us are exceptionally um, sensitive to criticism, so much so that when that weight is placed in our lap, it bothers us, like really bad. I mean, we sit there for days, on weeks on end, just thinking about this criticism, wondering, what if they're right? What if I am a terrible employee? What if I am a terrible girlfriend, boyfriend, boss, whatever? What if I was wrong? What if I didn't think through it as well as I could have? And so on, and so on, and so on. And that's why I also love this idea of a weight, because some of us then carry that weight around. And does, does it not slow you down when you have to carry a 20-pound dumbbell around everywhere you go? Yes. And so if you just let that criticism sit with you, it slows you down. For some of you even, before you go to bed at night, you're just thinking about that criticism. It's just rolling in your mind, rolling in your mind. And, and what do you do with it? You just put it right on your chest, and it makes it hard to breathe sometimes, let alone makes it difficult to sleep. And that's how you respond to criticism. What if they're right? The next one is um, we, we let it build. Now, you try to brush off the criticism, but you know it doesn't go anywhere. It's still sitting there. You try to push it off to the side of your desk, but it's still sitting there in sight. And that the more the criticism comes your way, you start building it up kind of like a volcano. And like most volcanoes, we know before they're going to erupt because it starts bubbling over into our behavior and our decisions. And you begin to kind of like passively, aggressively criticize people as well. You may not get out the 20-pound dumbbell, but you get out the one-pound or the five-pound, right? And you kind of walk it around, and you kind of throw it across the room once in a while, or, or you walk by someone's desk, and you just drop that, drop that baby right off on them. You know, like, oh, yeah, you know, I've seen better. A little sarcastic, snarky remark. Or better luck ne next time. A little, little criticism, hinting at some things. 
until one day it's built up so much that you can't take it, you absolutely explode, and you have to walk away because you're embarrassed about how explosive you were in that moment in response to someone's criticism. And then finally, there's a group of us that ignore it. And I think partially we really can't do this that well, but some of us, we just don't care enough to actually let it bother us. But unfortunately, in any of these, whether you don't care enough, whether you just let it build, whether you just let it stew, or whether you get angry right away and throw it back, it is on you, and it's inhibiting your and my ability to love people, isn't it? So here's my challenge to all of us, myself included. None of us want this. None of us get married, start dating, enter into a relationship, take a job where we're going to have to do one of these four things to get by. We don't want that. And we certainly can't love in that. So what are we going to do? And this is where, as Jesus followers, for those of you in this room this morning that are Jesus followers, we turn and say, well, Jesus, how did you do it? Because that's how I want to do it too. Jesus, how did you respond? Because that's how I want to respond. And even if you're not a Jesus follower this morning, that's okay because you still, I think, in fact, you will want to apply what Jesus teaches us today. Now, in Jesus's life, he had um, a group of people who were the continual relationship vampires throughout Jesus's ministry, and they were the Jewish religious leaders at the time. Because remember, Christian, Christianity hadn't even started yet, okay? Because it started with Jesus, and Jesus hadn't done the whole death and resurrection thing on the cross yet. So the, the predominant religion in where Jesus was teaching was Judaism. And the Jewish religious leaders did not like Jesus at all. So if you go home today, which I'm sure you do every single night, and you open your Bible and you're reading through it, anytime you see the Pharisees, the Sadducees, this is in the New Testament, specifically in the Gospels, the teachers of the law, or the Sanhedrin, you can just think to yourself, relationship vampires. Almost exclusively every interaction with Jesus and these people, they were acting as relationship vampires. And they continuously criticized Jesus. And Jesus almost exclusively responded with the same process. Now, I'm not going to focus so much on the content today. You can do that on your own. But what I want to focus on is the process that Jesus went through when he dealt with criticizing or critical people. In fact, he kind of dealt with people in general in the same way, whether it be critical or not, but I think it's really especially helpful when it comes to critical people and how we deal with them. So one example of this um, comes, from a, comes to us from Matthew chapter 15, and the writer of Matthew documents this exchange between Jesus and the religious leaders. So this is what Matthew said, then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked him a question. And we've talked about this question before a couple times, in fact. Verse goes on. Why do your disciples, the religious leaders are asking Jesus, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, we've talked about this before, but parents, this is not your biblical backing for trying to get your kids to wash their hands. 
Okay? It sounds great. In fact, some of you are probably like, gosh, I didn't even know that was in the Bible. If I had known that, I could, you know, convince my children they should wash their hands. I don't think that one that's going to work probably, but, you know, you can try it. This is not what they're talking about right now. Because, one, bacteria hadn't even been discovered yet. What they're talking about is ceremonial religious washing to act as though they are perhaps cleaner than they really are. And, and this is... Um, Essentially what happened, I'm not going to go too far into the content, but essentially what happens is the religious leaders took the Jewish law, which was given to the Jewish people through Moses from God, and then they took that religious law from God, and then they added their own things on top of it. Essentially, they made up rules. They made up what eventually came known as traditions that were not in the rule book, but helped and benefited often the religious leaders themselves. They were doing something that kind of enriched themselves. This is not a great example, but it's as close as I could think of last night, is that um, it's kind of like if I stood up here and I said, good Christians, God said, good Christians drive the speed limit. Now I tell you, good Christians will drive five miles an hour under the speed limit. So that everybody will know as they're driving by you and upset at you that you're a good Christian. And guess what? I understand it's going to really upset your fellow drivers, but that's not really what it's about. It's about me just showing control over you. It's about empowering me to your detriment so I feel better about myself. And that's what the religious leaders effectively were doing when they confronted Jesus about this. And they're trying to be critical of Jesus following their rules because they're the religious leaders. They're in charge, at least so they thought. Now, I'm not going to show you quite yet how Jesus responded, the content of it, because I want to focus on the process, again, that Jesus goes through. And so I'm going to put up the verse without the verse because I don't want to focus on what's missing. I want to focus on this last thing right here. It's a question mark. It's a question mark. And this is rarely something that we use effectively when it comes to dealing with critical people. But I promise you, it changes everything. And I would, op- I would, I would argue this question, a question, opens the door to love that could otherwise not take place without it. Because instead of responding to criticism by criticizing them back or or taking on that criticism and internalizing it and letting it weigh you down or Jesus taking on that criticizing and just bothering them like, oh, I'm I'm so bothered that the religious leaders don't like me and 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 I'm not following their rules. Instead of doing that, Jesus responds with a curious question or I think at least invites us, if we're watching his process, to respond with a curious question. Now, you might think to yourself, well, isn't a curious question saying the same thing? Curious question, I mean intentionally, because you can respond with things like a sarcastic question. In fact, some of you do when you respond to criticism. And, I, and that's not my hope. My hope is that you respond with a, I want to understand, I am curious kind of a question. Not a snarky one, a curious question. Because, and this is really important, this will open the door to moving beyond the criticism 
itself. Now, a side point before I get too carried around uh, in, on this is, and this is just scientifically proven, you'll have to take my word on it, you can research it later, but quest, curious questions begin with two words, how and what. Why comes across accusatorily, when doesn't always make the most sense, but, but what and how, it is really difficult to frame what and how questions sarcastically. But what and how questions do really well if you really want to understand what's going on. And it keeps the conversation positive. And this is really important. So, so John, if I could have you come back to the stage just for a real quick second, okay, and, and pick up that weight again. Thank you to demonstrate. Yeah, you, do, you don't have to go to the gym. Yes, you're welcome. You know, we try to help you and add infuse. Okay, curious questions keep the burden of truth on the criticizer. This is why questions are so important. Because the burden of truth is on the criticizer. I mean, think about it. When John's criticizing me, who's being critical? John. John's being critical. Who, who's trying to identify a problem and prove the legitimacy of that problem, that fault? John is. The criticizer is. Not me. So why would I need to get defensive? The burden of proof, the burden of truth is not on me. It's on the criticizer. If I accept it and I get defensive or I try to throw it back, what am I doing? I'm taking that weight from John. But you don't have to take that weight. What does Jesus do? He responds with a question. Now, I'm not saying that John is not right or wrong. We're not even there yet. I'm, not gonna accept, I'm just not going to accept his criticism as true quite yet. So if we go back to the, John, the, the gene example, um, I could respond by asking John. John. John says to me, I think your genes are too tight, uh, and Jesus wouldn't have worn genes like that. I could respond by saying, hey, John, how is the truth of Jesus hindered by the tightness of my pants? It's <laughs> a tough one, right? Okay, John, what outfit would better allow the Savior of the world to reach people? Bib overalls? You think so? Okay. Maybe big bib overalls. A Hawkeye shirt. Hawkeye bib overalls. Of course they would. Of course they would. <clears throat> yeah. Uh-huh. If I don't ask a question, the weight moves to me, and we are not able to have a conversation, and the truth doesn't or is not able to come out. So th thank you, John. No, we'll keep it with you, because I haven't accepted it yet. Okay, thank you. Well, you can take it back, too. Okay, that's fine, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you keep it with you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. That was a great example. Yeah, right. Questions are so important because they move criticism to conversation. We talked about this in this last series, uh, Me and My Big Mouth. We talked about why conversations are so valuable. Questions move criticism to conversation, because in all reality, John could be right. The criticism against you that you don't like could be right, or there could even be partial truth to what they're saying. There may indeed be a better outfit for me to wear. There may indeed be areas in your work, in your work life, that you have to improve. And you could have handled that situation, whatever that situation was, better. But if you don't move the, the criticism to conversation, you may never know. And instead, you may be, go home feeling bad and internalizing that hurt and that criticism. 
But asking questions moves the criticism to conversation and keeps the burden off you and allows for you to move to truth. So if your spouse is really criticizing you for something, and you wonder, oh, is it, is it actually because of something else? You don't jump in and say, well, is it really about this? No, no, no. You ask questions. And guess what? Asking questions, being curious, will demonstrate your love for them more than anything else. And you may end up getting to the truth that's really going on, and they will help you get there. And in no way during that conversation do you actually have to take the criticism on yourself. Is, is, your really, is, is that difficult client that you have? I mean, we've all had difficult customers or people to work with or coworkers to work with. Are they really upset at you? Or maybe that client is just upset because things aren't going well in their business and money's really tight. And they want to pay you, but they can't. But they're not willing to admit that they can't, but they need the materials.